0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, hello, wherever and whenever you are, and welcome to Stories of Your and Yours. My name is Sean Ennis, and this week I will hold your hand as we travel into the deep, dark recesses of tortured souls. Let's kick off this episode with the traditional iTunes review. The Sultry Sounds of Amazing Storytelling by Starry Night I have worked my way through a few of Sean's episodes and I am loving everything about this show. I feel like I'm getting a quality radio performance every time I listen to his storytelling. Sean effortlessly blends new stories and old stories, as well as providing a snippet of background information on the author, which I feel makes this show an ideal go-to for educators like myself, who look for quality recordings of stories to play in class to give students another avenue for experiencing the story." Many thanks indeed to Starry Night for the kind review. And by the way, if you are an educator and you've used the show in the classroom, I would love to hear about that. And of course, if you'd like to leave a review to be read on the show, go ahead and leave that review on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts, and I will produce it here on the show. A huge thank you as well to my generous patrons. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, I would love to have you, and you can see all the rewards for doing so at patreon.com slash syypodcast. You can also get in touch with the show on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at syypodcast. You can contact me through any of those methods or through syypodcast at gmail.com with requests or your own original short story. I enjoy talking with everyone, so don't be shy. Now before we get to this week's stories, let's hear from Nick at Livestream for the Cure. I'm Nick. And I'm Justin, and we can't believe it's already time for the 2019 live stream for The Cure. Thanks to our amazing peers, listeners, and supporters. Last year, we crushed our goal of $5,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. The Cancer Research Institute is funding research into immunotherapy to create a future immune to all forms of cancer. Every single cent we raise goes to them. And they're also rated over 92% on charitynavigator.org. This year, we're aiming our sights even higher with our most ambitious event to date. Join us May 17th through the 19th on twitch.tv slash epicfilmguys for 40 hours of live content from us and other amazing shows who will join us to try to reach $7,500. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure for more information or to find out how you can be a part of the event. Together, we can make a difference. Don't forget, Livestream for the Cure will be live, as the name implies, on May 18th, 19th, and 20th, and yours truly will be part of the show. But for now, on to this week's stories. This week, I'll be bringing you two original stories from listeners, which I always enjoy doing very much. Now, a warning at the top of this episode. I've done scary stories on the show before, But this week is a little bit different than those. These stories contain some violence, including a scene of domestic violence, and they get pretty dark at times. That being said, the first story this week is called Nature is Cruel, But So Am I, and it's by V.P. Morris. V.P. Morris is an award winning horror and thriller writer. She is the host of the suspenseful audio drama The Dead Letters Podcast, debuting in the fall of 2019. She currently resides an hour outside of Manhattan with her husband and hound dog. There will be links to the following in the show notes, but I'll tell you right now, you can follow VP Morris at T-Write Repeat, that's T-E-A-W-R-I-T-E, repeat, on Twitter. Her website is vpmorris.com, and you can follow at Pod on Twitter and Facebook as the release date for that upcoming podcast gets closer. As for the story, this will be the first time it has been broadcast or published, and a note from the author says that it is a simple reminder that cruelty is a two-way street. The second story will be a vignette of sorts, and it's called Awoken. The author of the story goes by Splatter Saint. Splatter Saint says he is currently writing just for fun, as he has a family and a full-time job, so writing is a way to relax, despite the subject matter. You can find his stories on splattersaint.wordpress.com and you can follow him at SplatterSaint on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr. Awoken has been published on the aforementioned blog, but outside of that, this will be the first time it's been broadcast. So, now that we've introduced the authors and their stories, let's move on to this week's presentation. Nature is cruel, but so am I by VP Morris. Thunder clapped outside and woke Nate from his sleep. The storm had raged on for three days now, even though the smiling weatherman from the news claimed that the area would receive nothing but sunshine. Liar, Nate said in a half laugh. He went over to the window to see pouring rain. He found himself peering into the dark woods in the direction of where he put her. As he scanned the trees, a black figure appeared in the woods and stood next to his gardening shed. He stepped back in fear and blinked his eyes before looking again. The figure was gone. Must have been a shadow, he thought, though he didn't quite believe himself. Animalistic fear gripped his mind and he looked out of the window again. Never hurts to double-check. His eyes bounced from tree to tree and studied the black gaps in between them. Just as he cupped his hands around the glass to see better, the wicker chair from the patio was stirred up by the wind and rammed into the side of the house a mere inch from his face. He stumbled backwards. Holy hell! A large crack ran down his window and into the wall exactly where he'd been standing. Nate sprinted downstairs and scoured the contents of his cupboard until he found a bottle of brandy. This'll settle my nerves, he thought as he poured the strong-smelling liquid into a glass. Normally, he would feel guilty for drinking before the standard five o'clock mark. It would only impede his job performance. But he wasn't working, so he didn't care. As he sipped from the cup, he felt something bulbous grow under his feet and heard a creaky sound filling the room. Tree roots pushed up from the ground. Their thick, veiny bodies split open the floor and grew bigger and longer by the second. Nate leapt around the roots to get out of their way. From the living room, he stared as they climbed through the floorboards, punched through the cupboards, and strangled the granite countertops and stainless steel appliances. Before he could make any sense of the situation, the electricity flickered and plunged Nate into darkness. The cellar. He'd have to go down there in the pitch black to mess with the fuse box and turn on the backup generator. He used his cell phone to illuminate his path. Taking three steps down, Nate came to a halt as a tree root shot through the wall and blocked his path. What in the world is going on? he muttered. As he climbed over the root, the cell phone went dark. Without the light to distract him, he became aware of the strange sound coming from the basement. It was a buzzing so deep in tone that it could be mistaken for a roar. Something touched his hand. It was little and tickly. Then something wet and long climbed up his arm. His heart leapt in his throat. He didn't want to know what was touching him or what was waiting for him in that basement. Nate took a deep breath to calm himself as he pushed the power button on his phone again. Instead of illuminating the empty storage area, the light washed over a wall of insects. Flies, beetles, worms, and maggots were filling up the entire cellar and made one massive lump of bugs. The scent of Nate's body and the glow from the phone excited them. The winged insects took flight and descended upon him while the worms crept up after them, wiggling their way up the wooden step and onto his feet and legs. Nate screamed and clambered up the stairs on all fours. Before he could get to the final step, he heard the same stretching and creaking noise from the kitchen. It was the roots. They burst through the dirt walls of the basement, busting up the fragile wooden steps and knocking Nate back into the pit of bugs. Is this how I'm going to die? Nate screamed into the darkness. He didn't know the answer. At least, not yet. One month earlier. Nature is cruel, but so am I, said executive Nate Caligari. He was about to put his hands on the conference room table in front of him, but he stopped himself. The glass was painted with oily smears from the fingers of whomever sat in the conference room before him. That's beside the point, said Dipcola International's head scientist, Jim Greenwood. The trees that are overtaking the factory are an important species in the Amazon and are getting closer to extinction by the second. They help keep a particular species of invasive fungus at bay. If we remove the trees from the factory, the whole thing could become overrun with sticky green fungus. Nate shuddered at the thought of germ-infested spores embedding themselves on every surface they could find. Instinctively, he pulled out a wet white from its yellow wrapper that proudly boasted kills 99.9% of germs on contact and glided it over the table. "'If this fungus takes over,' Nate began, with disdain dripping off every letter of the word fungus, "'we should be like these disinfectant wipes here. One swipe and bam, no living microorganisms left. Can't you concoct a strong formula of bleach or acid that would wipe off all this fungus?' Uh, "'We could, but that's not the point,' the scientist spoke again. "'We are tampering with a very delicate ecosystem, and a chemical compound of that nature could have devastating effects.' We could spend time in the lab experimenting with the formula so we don't have to keep using palm oil, meaning we won't need that fancy factory in the first place. The point has nothing to do with your delicate ecosystems or your experiments. Nate leaned to his side and tossed the used wipe into a plastic garbage bin across the room. The point is increasing our profit margins. If that palm oil plant shuts down, we will be out millions of dollars. I was brought on as CFO ten years ago for one purpose only, to make more money. And as you know, I'm pretty good at it. Shutting down operations and messing with a formula that is a favorite of the American people is a marketing disaster. Pull out the trees, make a formula that will kill the ensuing fungus, and get on with business as usual. The group of men seated at the table nodded in agreement while Jim stared at Nate, his face glowing red. It wasn't the first time Nate threw Jim's ideas under the bus in front of the other department heads. The others at the table ignored Jim's obvious resentment and continued the meeting as they chatted about objectives and fourth quarter goals. Soon, each department head stood up, shook hands with Nate, and left. This is the part of daily business interactions that Nate hated the most. He'd have to press his clean hands to the germy palms of his colleagues, who he knew didn't always wash after using the toilet. Feeling the microscopic bacteria already trying to penetrate every cell in his body, he rushed back into his office and squirted a glob of hand sanitizer on his hands and feverishly rubbed them together. "'You know that isn't helping,' a voice said. Nate looked up. It was Jim.' Short, fat, balding Jim. Nate hated that little nerdy weasel. What won't help? Nate asked. All the disinfectant you're using. Research is showing that not only is it killing good bacteria your body needs, it's making the pathogens adapt and become stronger. The more you use that stuff, the worse the pathogens get. Jim rocked on his feet, proud of himself for standing up to the towering Nate, a man who was far more handsome at 50 than Jim ever was in his youth. I don't care. "'If it keeps me from getting sick right now, so be it.' "'Nate dropped the sanitizer back into his desk drawer and slammed it shut. "'Why did you come up here anyway?' "'I wanted to see if you got another letter,' Jim replied. "'No, not since last week,' Nate scowled at him. "'Wait, how do you know about that? "'Only me, Steve, and the lawyers know. "'Work gets around.' "'Jim shrugged and took a few steps forward, "'causing the fluorescent lighting to cast a glare on his hairless head. "'What does it matter to you?' "'Nate asked as he stood behind his desk.' squeezing the back of his office chair and trying to resist the urge to jump across the furniture and punch Jim in the face. If the company that I work for as director of scientific research and development is being targeted by some eco-terrorist group, I should know about it. This could ruin my career if I'm associated with the damaging practices that the company is responsible for, said Jim. Everything listed in the letters, the use of heavy metal alloys, taking water from drought-stricken areas, the large palm oil factories, all came about before you were hired. How could it be your fault? asked Nate. It doesn't matter if I started it. If I don't do something to stop it, then I'll lose my reputation in the scientific community. Jim's voice became frantic. He rubbed his forehead and started again. If you would just let me work on the formula, I could stop the company from having to use these measures to keep the product going. I I could work with the resources team to move our water supply to a different location that rarely experiences water shortages. We could address all these concerns, get the person or people to stop threatening us, and get us labeled as a green company. You know, the hipsters will love that. We can't afford to make any changes right now. Maybe in a decade or so, but right now, changing anything would cost us big, said Nate. If you want to make yourself useful, pull the DNA off this. He tossed two letters stuffed back in their tattered envelopes to Jim. We aren't the police. I can't match these with someone in the system, Jim said. I'm not asking for a match, just an idea. Male, female, black, white, young, old, you get the picture. Okay, I'll start on this, but can you at least think about letting me try a new formula? Get together a few focus groups to give their opinion on a new taste? I'll think about it, but first I need those results, Nate snapped. Jim nodded and rushed out of the room. Nate opened his drawer and pulled out the rest of the letters he received. He didn't need to reread them. He knew exactly what they said, but he let his eyes dart over the magazine cut-out letters that spelled out their message. We know what you are doing, and we are disgusted by it. By ruining the planet, you are making a very powerful enemy. Do you think this would make her proud?" Your mother didn't die a painful death just for you to destroy the world dip has three months to stop their harmful actions or else the rest of the letters followed a similar message they were all personal chastising nate and asking whether his drowned father or his cancer-stricken mother would have approved of his choices he could feel the rage radiating from the page as they made him think of the day he got the news his father's body had been found on the lake and another day five years later when his mother's weakened immune system gave in to pneumonia while tied up into a million wires and tubes in a dimly lit hospital room. As thick-skinned as Nate was, he couldn't stand these memories. The muscles in his neck tightened at the thought of getting another letter. The clock hit five when Beatrice, Nate's assistant, came in with a pile of paperwork in her arms. Mr. Calgary, I'm just about to leave, but before I go, here are the documents that Legal needs you to sign, and here is your mail. She placed the documents in front of him and stacked the mail to the side. Do you need anything else? Nate knew that one of the many letters on his desk was one of the letters. He could feel it. He replied, no, that will be all. Now alone, he tore through the pile until he found an envelope with the same phony return address in the top left corner. Before opening it, he pressed the intercom and Beatrice picked up. Yes, Mr. Calgary, she said through the grainy speaker. What time did the mail come in today, he asked. Two o'clock. Why didn't you bring it to me then? You were in your office with Mr. Greenwood and I didn't want to disturb you. Nate groaned. Ugh. Well, next time bring the mail in right away. Yes, sir. Said Beatrice as she hung up. It's Jim. It has to be. Why else would he ask me if I got another letter unless he was the sender? That nerd is as good as dead, Nate thought. He rushed to the elevator and took it down 20 floors to the lab. There he saw Jim punching numbers into a computer program. Nate smacked him on the top of the head with a letter. It's you who's been sending these things to me, you little weasel. I'll have you fired for this. What are you talking about? Jim asked. Nate picked up Jim and held him against the wall and screamed, The letters! It's you! You're the one pushing all these environmental measures! You're the one who asked about getting another letter just as it was being delivered! It's you! Actually, Jim said, beaming from ear to ear. Lord, how he loved proving people wrong, especially people like Nate. We just finished processing the DNA from the letters. The sender licked the envelope, and it contains the DNA of a Caucasian female, probably between 25 and 40 years of age. Oh, said Nate, feeling embarrassment trickle through his body. He went limp and let Jim down. Nate, what in the world? A voice called behind him. It was Steve Harper, the CEO. Crap, muttered Nate. The following day, Nate was back in the conference room, this time with Steve, the HR department, and one of their lawyers. I've apologized to Jim. I made a mistake. I thought he was the one threatening me, but I was wrong. I did not mean to hurt or frighten him. Nate said in a voice that attempted to sound empathetic but only came out dry of emotion. Steve cleared his throat and began. We understand, Nate, but just to make sure everything cools down around here, we recommend you take a paid leave. Rest, relax, put your feet up. Tensions have been high. I think it's best for everyone that you take some time off. Nate knew that time off was career suicide. Any executive who couldn't handle the pressure of his position would soon be thrown off the corporate ladder. "'I don't want to rest. I want to keep on going. "'We've got so much to do this quarter,' he protested. "'Steve leaned in. "'Nate, this is not an option. "'Take a leave of absence or leave for good.' "'Nate forced himself to say, fine. "'It could be good for you. "'Why don't you take that lovely wife of yours to the summer house "'and have a little vacation? "'I know my wife would love it if I did that.' "'Your wife wouldn't love it if your career was being destroyed,' "'Nate thought. "'Yes, I bet Tara would be pleased.' Nate smiled, but his eyes stayed stone cold. Good, then it's settled. We'll see you again in six weeks, Steve said while offering his hand for a shake. Nate grimaced and accepted the handshake. There wasn't enough disinfectant in the world to wipe away the sick feeling of dread that was taking over Nate's mind. Two Weeks Later Tara Caligari stretched her lithe body into a cobra pose. She had laid down her jade-green mat on the sun-soaked terrace of their summer house about sixty miles from the city. As she took in a deep, audible breath and subsequently released it in a slow rush of air, she felt the tight muscles in her back release. Bringing herself up into a downward-facing dog, she felt a deep stretch in her calves. While she thought that the extended vacation with her husband would be good for her, allowing her to escape the pressures of city life, her body was noticeably tenser on vacation than when she was back at home in New York. When she was isolated from the world with only Nate for company, she couldn't keep it from coming back. Her rage. She had been an angry teenager, full of piss and vinegar, blaring grunge music in her room and smearing her eyes with chalky black eyeliner, only to annoy the hell out of her parents. But it was more than the typical teenage rebellion, and Tara knew it. She constantly threatened other girls at school and got suspended on two separate occasions when she punched a wall in a classroom and when she brought lighter fluid and a box of matches to school with the intent to burn the building down. She would have ended up in juvenile detention for arson if it wasn't for her stoner boyfriend who blocked her from pouring the lighter fluid saying, hey man, fighting the establishment isn't worth the time in jail. The rage that lived inside Tara never blared louder than it did on December 23, 1988. Tara's cousins were staying with her family for the holidays when her uncle got electrocuted trying to redo the Christmas lights and had to go to the hospital. The adults left the 16-year-old Tara in charge of watching her two younger cousins, Nicole and Zachary. Tara's memory of that night only exists in flashes. She remembers 11-year-old Nicole, chubby-faced and wired on Christmas sugar, running around the house and screaming and jumping out of corners purposefully trying to set Tara off. She can see the girl snatching Tara's new Radiohead album from her room and running down the dimly lit stairway to the basement. By the time Tara found Nicole, everything was glowing red and she tackled the girl to the floor. She heard a crack. Tara looked down to see a red river rushing from the girl's head. a one-inch valley running down the back of her skull. Nicole was in a coma for about a month after the incident but thankfully recovered without any complications or memory of how she got there. After that night, Tara knew she had to bottle this dangerous rage. She convinced her parents to pay for a therapist to work on her issues. She threw away her angry music and dark clothes. She knew she had to control every aspect of her life or the rage demon would get out. That meant no sugar, no meat, no dairy, no alcohol, no drugs and intense yoga exercises every day. For the rest of her life, she had to endure pushy family members and friends, goading her with sugary treats or cheese-filled appetizers, saying, You can't even have just one? No, I can't have just one, she would think, or else it will come back. One cookie leads to twenty, and one rash word leads to a blow-up. Never again, she told herself. Until recently, she had it under control. Her life was good. She loved her job teaching yoga. She enjoyed bringing her love of the practice to her students, talking to them after class and getting organic vegan cocktails at her favorite Brooklyn bar with the other instructors after hours. As nice as her life seemed, she could feel the rage laying dormant inside her, and could still hear the crack of Nicole's head on the concrete echoing through her mind. Her rage was awoken like a sleeping bear by Meadow. Yes, that was the woman's name, Meadow. She was the newest instructor hired by Ahimsa Yoga and was barely old enough to drink, After her first week on the job, Tara and the rest of the staff met at a bar to officially welcome Meadow to the studio. She had let down her voluminous blonde hair and was sporting one of those shirts that was small enough to be considered lingerie. Tara knew she was still beautiful, as her tall frame coupled with her dark eyes and hair usually made her the most attractive woman in the room. But with Meadow's glowing presence and Tara's 35th birthday just a week away, she couldn't help but feel a jealous hatred towards her. The feeling was only made worse once she engaged in a conversation with Meadow. The rest of the staff were chatting out of earshot when Tara found herself alone at the bar with Meadow. I like your top, Tara lied, desperately trying to make conversation. Thanks, I got it from Cotton for the People. It's this awesome little company that makes clothes locally and from all natural fibers. I won't wear anything else, Meadow said, taking her iPhone out to snap a picture of her drink for Instagram. Why's that? asked Tara. People have no idea how harmful those big companies are for the environment. Taking care of our planet is everyone's responsibility. Yes, so true, Tara said. I'm on my condo board and we just installed solar panels on our roof. I also made Nate trade my Mercedes for a Tesla. Meadow let out a mocking (laughs) laugh. What? Tara furrowed her brow. When you said Nate, you meant Nate Caligari of Dip Cola, right? Yes, he's my husband. And you think that your Tesla is going to save the planet when your husband is one of the few men single-handedly destroying it? Meadow laughed. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about, Tara told her. You don't know what your husband's company has been doing? Not really. I try to stay out of it. Nate doesn't like to bring up work, so I never push the topic. If I were you, I'd start pushing. Meadow took her drink and left Tara alone. It wasn't just that she was young, beautiful, and self-righteous that annoyed Tara so much. It was because meadow was right after returning home that night tara looked up dip cola and found details on all the horrible things they were doing draining the water supply during a drought using toxic yet still legal chemicals in their packaging cutting down miles of rainforest to grow plants for their formula worst of all the majority of this stuff started when nate was hired about 10 years ago all of this made tara's rage start to boil nate inadvertently fanned the flames that caused her rage to sick on him like a wild dog Shortly after Tara's run-in with Meadow, she was leaving their apartment to go to a friend's birthday party. She was about to get in a cab when she realized she had left the gift back in the apartment. She went back inside and saw Nate on the balcony taking a phone call. She could hear him say, oh she's great, we've got the perfect marriage. Laugh all you want, but believe me, we do. Tara's heart began to melt as she walked forward wanting to wrap her arms around him. Then he said, it's perfect because I barely have to see her. I'm at work all day. She's doing Lord knows what during the day. Yoga, shopping, vegan cooking, all that crap. We just meet up at night for a drink, a snack, and a quickie, and then get on with our lives. Tara stood still and listened. That's the beauty of a second wife. They know this is a quid pro quo thing. You don't have to pretend that you're really in love or any of that bull. As quick as the strike of a match, her rage roared back to life. It wanted her to destroy him from the inside out and wear away at his life like hydrochloric acid. With the room slowly turning a shade of red, she crept her way up to the office, took out paper, envelopes, stamps, scissors, and a few old issues of magazines and snuck out the front door. Now at her summer house, Tara told herself she was getting her rage back under control, but even as she bent and stretched herself through the yoga session, she could feel her anger bubbling up like lava. This isn't working, she said to herself. Tara tucked away her mat and reached for her gardening gloves. There were several plants that needed to be potted before the day was through, and she hoped the act of gardening would calm her down. Yet the rage in her blood only caused her hands to shake as she relocated each plant from its former plastic shell to the new terracotta home. As she reached for that last fluffy, pink, blossoming plant, she knocked over the fertilizer-filled pot into the soggy grass, causing the pot to become covered in mud. That's no good, she said as she lifted up the pot and took it inside to wash it off. As she walked across the kitchen toward the sink, Nate came into the room. "'What are you thinking, taking that dirty thing in here?' he yelled. "'It got muddy, so I was going to wash it off in the sink,' she explained. "'Oh, no you don't. You'd be dragging millions of invisible microbes into the house. If you wash that thing off, tiny dirt and bacteria-covered particles will splash out everywhere, and you'll cover the kitchen in filth.' Nate glared at his wife. Tara laughed. "'You can't be serious. That's not how germs work.' "'Yes, it is.' "'Nate said, hitting each syllable of each word with force. "'I will wipe down the entire kitchen when I'm finished.' "'Tara moved closer to the sink, but Nate rushed up and grabbed her hands. "'Give that to me,' he demanded. "'No, what's wrong with you?' she shrieked. "'I said I don't want dirt in my kitchen, and you need to listen to me.' "'Tara jerked her hands away from his grasp, "'but the slick mud on the pot caused it to slip and crash on the wooden floor at their feet. "'What could you have done?' Nate screamed at her as he backed away from the kitchen. This whole room is contaminated now. I can't even be in here. He looked at the floor, as scared as a toddler who thinks there is a monster in his closet. Wow, you are such a big baby. It's just dirt. Nothing bad is going to happen to you. I'll clean it up, Tara said as she took the dustpan and brush from under the sink and began to sweep it up. Wash your hands. Wash your hands when you're done. He shouted at her while grasping at the roots of his hair. He could almost see the germs creeping out of the dirt and roaming across his kitchen. Relax. It's not like I dropped a Petri dish of Ebola. (laughs) She laughed. Do you want to see something that'll really freak you out? Look. Tara dipped her finger in her mouth and pushed it into the pile of dirt and sucked the dirt off. That's disgusting. You are a dirty, filthy woman. Nate yelled. He stomped over to the fridge and pulled out a sandwich bag filled with deli meat. How come you can eat dirt off the floor like some deranged animal, but you won't even eat meat? you know, real food. Nate bent down on the ground before her and rubbed the meat in the dirt. Maybe now you'll eat it. He lunged at her and she fell back. He grabbed her head with one hand and shoved the dirt-covered meat into her mouth with the other. She spat it out and pushed him away. You're the one that's disgusting. How dare you treat your wife that way? This is part of the reason why I've... She stopped herself. Why you've what? Nate said, his eyes were fixating on her like a predatory animal. Have you cheated on me? "'No, I've been... I was... I'm the one who was sending you the threatening letters,' Tara confessed. "'Are you kidding me? Please tell me you're joking.' "'No, I'm not. I didn't like what you were doing with the company. It's like you don't even understand how dire the state of our planet is right now. I had to tell you. I had to try to get you to stop,' she explained. "'Do you have any idea what you did to my career?' This isn't a fun, spontaneous vacation. It's paid leave. Possibly a permanent leave. I wouldn't be surprised that by the time I came back next month, they'd either demote me to some lame position or fire me outright. What do my letters have to do with your leave? Tara asked. I thought it was this little prick Jim from the science department who was sending them, so I attacked him. They caught me and they put me on leave. Tara stared at him, slack-jawed. But it was you, Nate said. Why did you do this? Since when did you start playing little Miss Activist? It's not just about the environment. It's you. I hate you. I know you only married me for my looks, that you never loved me, and now all I want to do is destroy you, she said. Nate's face grew redder by the second as he rose to his feet and rushed at Tara. She turned to run, but he knocked her to the ground sideways. With his full body weight on her, he heard a thud and then a crack, just like the crack Tara had heard all those years ago. He looked down at his wife to see her neck bend at an unnatural angle he lifted her torso up but her neck and head rolled and dropped to one side with barely a moment's hesitation he dragged her body into the woods and used her big gardening shovel to dig her grave after he smoothed the earth over her body he longed for a rest but he knew there was more work to be done nate did not know that when he buried her body he buried her anger an anger so powerful that it seeped into the earth And infected every living thing in the area like toxic waste. Her rage slowly leaked into the groundwater and would be absorbed by the thirsty roots of the large oaks that grew around her body. The maggots, worms, burrowing flies, and beetles would consume her anger as they gnawed at her decaying body. It would soon spread like a wildfire until her wrath infiltrated every plant, animal, drop of water, and molecule of air within three square miles of their property. High in the trees, her soul lurked, looking down upon Nate as he cleaned the kitchen with bleach and used her cell phone to send fake messages to her friends, telling them that she decided to leave for an extended international holiday. Around her raging soul, dark storm clouds and gale force winds gathered as she said, Nature is cruel and so am I. Two weeks later. In the cellar, Nate felt the insects take tiny bites out of his skin. The flies swarmed into his eyes and licked at his tear ducts before he could swat them away. Then a thought creeped into his head. These bugs, they are decomposers. They eat dead bodies, like the ones that must have eaten her. At that moment, each fly, worm, and beetle began to spit up. They were vomiting, all of them, throwing up a whitish slime. It's her, Nate thought. It's her. They are throwing up her corpse. Fear spiked Nate's body to move, and he scrambled to get out of the basement. Back in his ruined kitchen, he raced for the door when he felt the ground shake. It was an earthquake of Californian proportions. The earth split the house in two and the front door moved further away from him. The ground tilted, making Nate fall backwards. He tried to regain his footing, but it was no use. He slipped and tumbled backwards down into the dirty basement, where the hungry mouths were waiting for him. When I awoke, I couldn't see. My eyes were open wide, so wide they hurt with a burning dryness. Despite my determination to see, I could make nothing out more than a thick, black surrounding. It wasn't until I tried to move that I realized my nightmare was only beginning. I could only bend slightly at the knees and my arms couldn't reach more than a few inches above my chest. Upon this realization, my breath became short and panicked. The darkness was doing all that it could to suffocate me. My thighs tightened, and calves cramped with their inability to move. My back became pained, being stuck flat and bearing the fullness of my weight. My body felt like it should belong to an old man, weak and twisted with age. A flowing, warm, panicked perspiration coated my feeble body and burned my open eyes. This coffin reeked of my own musty death. My growing fear and that smell so strong caused me to throw up, doing my best to turn to one side so as to not drown in my own sick. I began banging my head on the hard pine lid, trying to add base to my dry, raw screams for help. I was abruptly blinded by the bright yellow orb that hung comfortingly in the bright blue sky. I stood in an open field where tall, golden grass surrounded me, bordered by beautiful green trees fell to my knees and hugged the earth. Each thin blade of grass was soft but at full and healthy attention. I thought deeply of how I could spend the rest of my saved life doing good for others. I would bring joy to the sorrowful in hopes of removing my memory of the terrible place that almost consumed me. I thought of many happy things until I woke up. My head ached and was now covered in what I can assume was blood. A harsh metallic smell filled the coffin adding to my hellish nightmare i became sick again and pitifully screamed for help my pants became wet with my own yellow fear and another embarrassing manifestation in that instant i stopped now too weak to continually fight the inevitable a sea of calm washed over me as i lay there motionless and knowing i had no escape i had no hope but for death i had no more strength the air was thinner now my breath, shallow. I started to drift back to the green grass and blue skies, knowing soon I would be free. You know, sometimes a good story can take you to your happy place, and sometimes you're just happy to get out alive. Thanks to VP Morris and Splatter Saint for submitting their stories and allowing me to bring them to you. And remember, if you'd like to submit your story, it's easy to do so. SYYpodcast at gmail.com or at SYYpodcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Stories of Your and Yours, and if you did, I would love it if you spread the word in whatever way you see fit. You can also leave a review to be read on the show, or I'd love to have you as a patron over at patreon.com slash SYYpodcast. For a full list of music and sound effect credits, please visit syypodcast.libsyn.com slash blog. Now next week, I'll be bringing you another episode featuring two stories by two well-known authors, and one of those stories I couldn't have presented last season. But now I can. Until then, this has been Stories of Your and Yours. I've been Sean Ennis. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.